Welcome to Forming the Spirit Within, a teaching ministry of Pastor Brad Riley. Pastor Brad is an associate and teaching pastor at First Church of the Nazarene here in Wichita, Kansas. He is the founder and director of the Merciful Servants of Christ, as well as the author of numerous articles. And now, here's Pastor Brad. Good morning, everyone. I'm sorry I'm late. Um, I've been running, running, running this morning and trying to get some notes put together for you as well as running a few calls. There are, are uh, some uh, folks in the church that are hurting and, and just trying to make sure we get them ministered to. So it's good to be with you for Bible study. Thank you for coming. Um, I put some notes on the board this morning. We're still in John chapter 12. And I would like to uh, would like to probably not finish the chapter today because there's so much that we don't want to miss. So we might take our time in this section. We left off last week talking about the thoughts of death. Jesus is now nearing the time of the cross. It's his last week on earth. He's we sense as we, I read this first opening verse last week from verse 27, you know, Jesus says, now my soul is troubled. And we want to, uh, we want to top, stop and consider what that means to us. We see a, we see a real uh, insight into Jesus' uh, soul right here today in this scripture. Um, let, let's begin. I didn't in my rush today. I didn't have a chance to bring those little prayer cards that I like to pray with you before studying scripture. But let's just begin. Do you have one? I, you have yours. Good, 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 good students. They brought their cards. All right. Hallelujah. And if you're new this week and didn't get one, I have more on my desk. I just didn't have time to get it. Let's let's stop. I, I think this morning's lesson is a very powerful lesson. I mean, a lesson. It's a study. We're all studying together, okay? It's not really a lesson I'm trying to teach you. But the, some of the elements of this chapter that we're going to talk about today are very poignant and very powerful to our lives if we'll let them soak in. So let's ask for God's help as we pray this prayer together. Illumine our hearts, O Master, lover of all humanity, with the pure light of your divine knowledge. Open the eyes of our hearts that we may understand your gospel teachings. Implant deep within us the fear of your blessed commandments, that through them we may conquer all carnal desires and may be transformed to live, both thinking and doing the things that are pleasing to you. For you, O Lord, are the light of our souls and bodies. And unto you we give all glory and praise, together with our Father, who is from everlasting, and the all-holy, good, and life-creating Spirit, now and ever, and unto the ages of ages. Amen. Thank you so much. God bless you. Um, so, open your Bibles to chapter 12, verse 27. I want to read a little bit here, and then we'll come back and discuss it. I think I'll read the passage, the full passage of 12, 27 through 36, and then come back and discuss. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify thy name. 
And then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd standing by heard it and said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. And Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not for mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. He said this to show by what death he was to die. The crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Jesus said to them, The light is with you for a little longer. Walk while you have the light, lest the darkness overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said this, he departed and hid himself from them. In that passage, John uses the beautiful metaphor of light. Again, uh, several times. And you notice in our uh, prayer that we read before scripture, that metaphor of light is very prevalent in that prayer. Illumine our hearts, O God. You are the light of our souls. John uses this metaphor of light so poignantly to help us to remember that no matter how dark life gets, and life does get dark, doesn't it? It can get very hard and very dark. But whereas we're going to see as we look through this passage today, no matter how dark life gets, there is now a light that is eternal, a light that is, is with us, and the power of Satan cannot overcome that light. These are some things we're going to glean from there. But let's, let's start talking about Jesus here and his, his emotional state at this point. Um, a few weeks ago, we talked about Jesus saying that his... Uh, soul was kind of uh, that his spirit was indignant he was uh, and we talked about that that troubled there was a, a different Greek word used there but this Greek word is different we introduced it last week the word terrasso it speaks of an emotional type fear a, a trepidation we see in Jesus almost taking a deep breath and saying wow now my soul is troubled and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. Jesus, he's having a conversation here with his disciples and those around that are listening as if to say uh, he's speaking from his full humanity now. And I think we need to stop and acknowledge the fact that what the Bible has written to show us, the, 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 the in, within these scriptures, to show us the real, especially the Gospel of John, to show us the real humanity as well as the real divinity of Jesus Christ. Because that is our theology. Remember, always remember, our theology is that Christ is 100% man, human, and 100% God. Amen. Two persons, okay? But one, yet. It's a mystery, okay? Like the Trinity is a mystery. Um, he has... A human soul. He is a divine being. He has human emotions. He has divine emotions. 
Why is that so important to us? Why is it important for us to not say, oh, he's just God. Jesus is God, so he can handle everything. You know, Jesus, you know, it, it shook him to his core in his yes. humanity, just like life can shake us to our core. And it's important for us to know that. Why? Because we have a Savior who identifies with our weakness. That's so important. It was so important that I think it was St. Augustine. I can't ever remember who to give credit to, so give credit to St. Augustine on this one. I think it was St. Augustine that said, whatever is not assumed by Christ is not redeemed by Christ. Whatever is not assumed in his life of our humanity is not redeemed in his death. Okay? So that means the full range of human emotion was assumed in his humanity. He knew how to face joy and laughter and fear and tears. And, and we've seen all of these emotions. John's not afraid to bring all of these emotions out in Jesus because we know, that's why we can know that our humanity, lock, stock, and barrel, every one of our human emotions has been redeemed in Christ because he suffered them the same as you and I. And he even speaks about his fears in this passage. He says, what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. There's a rhetorical question he's speaking in for the disciples' sake. What, what shall I say? Save me? No, I can't say that. It's for this hour that I've come. Now, there's a parallel here. We know that John's gospel, as we've seen all along, it's different from the other gospels. You'll notice that now we're in the last week of Christ's life as you go through these next several chapters. There isn't a Garden of Gethsemane scene in John's Gospel, is there? All the others have that. Why doesn't John have the Garden of Gethsemane? Why doesn't he mention that in a poignant moment where Jesus is praying and sweating drops of blood? Well, this is John's way of mentioning it. Okay, He knows that his readers are already familiar with that. Remember, he's writing a different kind of gospel for a different purpose to show Jesus to us a little more uniquely and and so he doesn't feel like he has to recreate the scene of the garden he's not telling uh, the, the chronology of everything but he is showing us emotion differently this is his way of acknowledging that poignant moment there came a time on earth where Jesus stared the cross straight in the face the reality of the cross took a deep breath, and in a shaken soul said, what shall I say about this? What shall I do? Shall I, Father, save me from this? No. Jesus was shaken, but he wasn't broken. He was not broken. He went forward to that cross. And we're going to see him talk about that cross this morning. Uh, know for this hour I've come for this purpose. He, and, and in Jesus, in verse 28, Jesus prays to the Father, Father, glorify thy name. I love that. Jesus doesn't say, Father, glorify me. Father, give me the strength to mount this cross. He says, Father, glorify thy name. Amen. All glory is to God. Jesus always gave glory to the Father, didn't he? Never once did, I, can you find in the Gospels anywhere that Jesus really touts himself or propels himself out there in a way that that would take away from God the Father. He's always pointing to God the Father. And, and in this, it's important for us to see that he said, his response to the question, shall I be saved from this cross, is no. Father, glorify thy name. What do you think he meant by saying, 
by my facing this cross, you're going to glorify your name. Because that's kind of what he's saying. What do you think that means? Does that mean anything to you? Well, we are, we are God's glory anyway. Okay, we, we're walking on earth. Where is we're glory? Here, we're to bring that is our job here is to bring glory to yes, to the yes, Lord. Amen. In this way, Jesus has given up His life to bring glory mm-hmm. to the Father. Yeah. The cross. It, of course, it goes deeper than that. Too. Well, Don't misunderstand. He, he wants He wants us to see the cross mm-hmm. in a in a in a new light. Go ahead. He has a plan. God has a plan. God has a plan. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, Jesus is part of that. And Jesus sees that plan. He knows he's part of that plan. Right. Uh, if we look back to Psalm, let me read just a few verses from the Psalms for you this morning. Psalm 88 is a very poignant psalm. Um, it's a very special psalm. Uh, those, those, these, this is a psalm that shows the affliction of Jesus' soul. Psalm 88 is prophetically written to show the affliction of Jesus' soul. Um, Psalm what? 88. It's just one of the, the many that are, that are kind of like that. Um, and in, let me just hear a few of these words. Um, o Lord, the God of my salvation, I've cried out by day and in the night before thee. Let my prayer come before thee. Incline thine ear to my cry, for my soul has had enough troubles, and my life has drawn near to Sheol. I am reckoned among those who go down to the pit. I become like a man without strength, forsaken among the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom thou dost remember no more, and they were cut off from thy hand. Thou hast put me in the lowest pit, in the dark places, in the depths. And thy wrath has rested upon me. And thou hast afflicted me with all thy waves. Thou hast remembered my acquaintances far from me. Has removed, I'm sorry, my acquaintances far from me. And thou hast made me an object of loathing to them. I am shut up and cannot go out. My eyes... My eye is wasted away because of affliction. And I have called upon thee every day, O Lord. I have spread out my hands to thee. Now, that's the first nine verses. What do you hear in those words when you think of Jesus? Yes. I don't know if this has anything to do with it, but Jesus is God in the flesh. So he has to go through all of this to be completely connected spiritually. Connected to who? Or to the Father. Okay. Because he came down on earth in the flesh. So he has to go on the cross and die for our sins. And I don't know how to explain that. I I, I can see where you're trying to search for for connections there. Remember, our theology would tell us that Jesus is always connected to the Father. Okay. Right. But. This is like a spiritually. Yes. Because he's in the flesh. Yes. And what he's about to do is die in the flesh. So you're, you're headed in the right direction. There is coming a point when Jesus hangs on that cross that he is totally forsaken. Hear the words of Jesus on the cross. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Aramaic. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Read the words we're hearing in Psalm 88. Jesus 
is we're, we're hearing from him in his mind, in his heart. Psalm 88 gets us into understanding what must be going through his heart that is making him so shaken. He knows he's going to die. And in that death, in that physical death, he is going to feel a separation from the Father he's never felt before. Because Jesus is part of the eternal Godhead. He's the second person of the Trinity. He's been with God the Father forever and ever and ever and under ages of ages, as we say at the end of the prayer. This is a new experience. It's a frightening experience. It's a fearful experience. In his humanity, he's also got to wonder, since he's not been through this before, what is actually going to happen. Sure. What's it going to feel I mean, like? What's the, going to happen? The flesh part, I mean. Yes. And look at the, the very next verse. In verse 10 of Psalm 88, he says this. is a question. Will thou perform wonders for the dead? Will the departed spirits rise and praise thee? Will thy loving kindness be declared in the grave? So Jesus is saying, I mean, he knows all these answers, right? He's God. But in his humanity, he's questioning, what's it going to be like? Are you going to remember me after I die? I mean, these are all questions we can all relate to, right? We should, because death is coming for every one of us. Sooner or later. And the fears that we may have of the grave are very real fears. Christ experienced them. But, like Christ, our Savior, we don't have to let those fears break us. He didn't let them break Him. The thought, And you say, oh, well, but He's Jesus. I know, but He's also fully human. And I'm saying in His full humanity, He never let the Father break Him. And if in His full humanity, He let the power of the Father and the Holy Spirit keep Him, that same power can keep us. Amen. From breaking. Okay? Are you saying, Brad, you're thinking to me, are you saying that we could mount the cross just like Jesus did and and have that kind of, well, you know what? I think I am saying that. Yeah, kind of. When a person can, as has happened in recent years and maybe still happening over in the Middle East, some of our Eastern Syriac Christian brothers and sisters be held at a terrorist knife to the point and not renounce Christ and say, I'm going to slice off your head. And they say, glory to God. And he slices their head off. That's mounting a cross. Amen. That's right. Right? That's not being broken. Do you think that's less painful than having nails in your hands? Well, my point is, is I have no idea. Christ's death was a slow, agonizing death. Oh, my goodness. They say there is no more agonizing death than crucifixion. Even the Romans finally outlawed it. Go, go, go figure, you know. Uh, but, but, you know, I don't even want to know the answer to that question. Quick and fast, if it's a guillotine, you know, the French at least invented a guillotine that came down with a force and was whoosh, instant, right? But these, these, this wasn't instant. I mean, that knife couldn't have been that sharp to cut through human bone. Come on now. I had to saw that head off. I mean, I don't want to watch that sort of thing. Oh, I wasn't thinking or think that. that. Yeah, it's not so quick. Yeah, the, 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 the. yeah, this was just a big knife. So it's horror. It is horror. But Jesus is asking the Father, will, in, in, in Psalm 88, the psalmist, in the spirit of Christ, is prophetically asking the Father. So we, that gives you a little insight into the Psalms. Whenever you read the book of Psalms, always be thinking of Jesus. Okay. You can be thinking of yourself, but Jesus is, is, uh, 
is human as well in that sense. So always be thinking of Jesus. Now, the reason this is so important is, is, that, is that Jesus shows us that the cross is not just a means to glory. See, we make that mistake sometimes. When we think the cross, well, Jesus had to die. Well, our language is like this. Well, Jesus had to die on the cross so that then he could be glorified and that we too can one day after we die be glorified. That's actually flawed thinking. What Jesus is doing here is saying, Father, glorify thy name. And if it takes the cross, that's wonderful because the cross is the glory. See, we, we're talking, uh, he's going to go on to say, in just a minute, he's going to say, and I'll, I'll take, I'm taking these a little out of order here, but that's okay, we'll come back to it. He's going to go on in verse 32, one of the, one of the most uh, famous verses in, in the Gospel of John. Jesus said, and if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. If I be lifted up from the earth, I, I memorized it years ago in, in the NASB. In this RSV, it says, he said this, uh, and when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. Jesus is predicting his cross. When he said lifted up, that was a phrase for meaning death by dying. The only way you were lifted up from the earth was lifted up onto a cross. We actually know that his hearers heard that because a little later on, they know he's talking about death. And so they say, just in a few verses, they say, how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? The, the, the Son of Man is supposed to remain forever. The Messiah is supposed to remain forever. So they know he's talking about the Messiah dying. And they're thinking, hmm, what's he talking about? So Christ is saying that maybe your version, I, I really like the versions that say, uh, somebody have a version here that says and uh, uses the word exalt in verse 32. Does anyone have a version that says exalt in verse 30? Look at your versions of verse 32 and read them out to me. Who has something different than what I have? No one says exalt? Okay. So the idea is if we looked at this up in the Greek, we would would get that that word for exalted. But it's the exact meaning because he says uh, he is to be lifted up from the earth. I mean, it's very self-explanatory. It's, it's lifting up in exaltation. Okay? The cross of Christ is the exaltation of God's glory. Amen. That God himself would take on human form and die the most agonizing death is the glory. So, you know, there's a lot of, if we stop and think about the hymnology of our faith, you know, uh, I will glory in the cross. One song says, yes. I will glory in the cross, in the cross, and the suffering, not be in vain, whatever. I always invent my own words, you know, when I can't go on. <laughs> so, so uh, but, but the idea, the cross, don't miss the fact that the cross is the glory. It's not, it's not the resurrection. Sure, the resurrection is glorious. Absolutely. And we, in some sense, we can't separate death, resurrection, and ascension. It's all part of the exaltation of Christ. But don't miss that the cross is, is the glory. It's not just the means to glory. Because the cross isn't just, the death of Christ in other words, is not just his means to heaven. Just like death is not just our means to heaven. 
We talked about this last week a little bit and in recent weeks in, in the study in John because we've talked a lot about death and we want to continue to, to remember that death isn't, death isn't our entrance to heaven. Okay? That's our reminder right there. <laughs> to remember that death is not our entrance into heaven. The kingdom of God has come. The kingdom of God is within you, Jesus said. Our death is the entrance into the kingdom when we die to ourselves, right. Not just the laying down of our physical bodies. You and I are in the kingdom right now. Exactly. If, we be, if we have died to ourselves and we are living for Christ, we are in the kingdom. His kingdom has come. This is his kingdom. Okay? Now, th that is his kingdom too. Will heaven be different than this? Sure. There, there's going to be a transition. You know, the, the, the old will be gone. The new will come. But don't miss that the glory has already come. And our challenge as Christian believers is not to just exist in this world so that someday we'll exist in heaven. Our challenge is to live the victorious life in glory and to glorify God in this present world, in this present life, so that the world around us sees his kingdom come. So when you pray the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. What are you saying? You're saying in this moment, Right now, God, let your kingdom be exalted in my life. Right. Don't we, we're, we're trained to just think about it as a future. It's now. It's now and then. Okay? Don't miss that. That's what Jesus is trying to, to say here. Uh, the, the cross is the exaltation. It's the glory. Um, it, now, as Jesus was saying, Father, glorify thy name. Let's don't miss the, the, the Father's response, doesn't he? Father God responds in a voice, it says here. And his voice says, I have glorified it, or I have glorified uh, it, yeah, meaning thy name. I have glorified my name, in other words, and I will glorify it again. The voice of the Father. And it says that Jesus and his disciples heard that voice. They heard it as the words of God. There are three hearings in this story. What are the other two hearings? Some hear it as the voice of God. Some of them heard it as thunder. Some of them heard it as thunder. And some of them heard it as an angel. What's going on here? Three different hearings. And John is trying to show us there are, there are three different positions of our heart. Those of us who believe, we hear God's voice. Those of us who are hardened, we're not going to hear his voice. Oh, that's thunder. But then there are those who are open. They, they, they heard it as something unique. That couldn't have been thunder. There's something else happening here. That was too quick of a response to be thunder. Must have been an angel. Their hearts are open. They maybe haven't believed yet, but their hearts... See, this is the kind of, uh, kind of deeper meaning that we can pull out of the scriptures when we read John. It's not... Don't, don't just read it for the, the literal words on the page. Because um, the truth is, that's who was around him. There were definitely Pharisees and hard-hearted people that no matter what happened, they were not going to hear God's voice. They were too hard. They didn't want to hear God's voice.
But there's a whole lot of people around, as we've been hearing almost every chapter say, and many were believing, that are coming to believe in Jesus. And so their hearts are open. They're wondering. And it's to them that Jesus speaks. He goes on, you know, in this discourse when they say, uh, they say, well, what do you mean the Son of Man must be lifted up? The Son of Man can't die. The Messiah is not going to die. He's going to remain forever. Jesus doesn't take up their argument, does he? He just goes on by saying, well, you know, walk in the light. He says at verse 35, the light is with you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest the darkness overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light. What's he doing? Who's he speaking to? He's speaking to the people. Speaking to that. He's speaking to those that are open. Yes. He knows the hard hearts aren't going to believe him anyway. Right. So he's not going to get into their little argument and discourse about the Son of Man or how he lives forever and all this. So he's going to speak to those that are open. And he's going to say, hey, the light's with you a little while longer. Believe while you can. That's, that's a, we don't want to miss that. It's very, very powerful. Now, I think it's important for us to look at this. We're, we're talking a lot about the kingdom of God here and now. We're talking a lot about Christ being exalted on the cross. But he also says something that's very important, and that is verse 31. We don't want to miss this in, in verse 31. So we've talked a little about the voice of God and the exaltation of the cross. But Jesus says something very important in verse 31. He says, now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the ruler of this world be cast out. Who's the ruler of this world? Who's he referring to? Satan, correct. Yeah. Do you realize that Satan has already been cast out? Yes. He's all, and, and this world has already been judged. You know, we talk about the judgment day, and we talk about the coming, the second coming of Christ, and, and there's a sense in which we get lulled into believing that, oh, the, the judgment's coming, you just wait, you'll get yours, the judgment's coming. And there's a sense in which that's true. The final judgment, yeah. But don't miss the fact that the, Jesus says the world's already been judged. Right. The world's already been judged, and Satan has already been cast out. Now, there's a Greek word here for that cast out that I think we, we need to examine, it, and, and that, that word is... is uh, Ekbalo. Let me write it down for you. Ekbalo. E-K-B-A-L-L-O. And, and when we hear that, if we study that in the Greek, it tells us not only cast. You know, we can cast something down. I can, I can take this pen and throw it on the floor. I cast it down. Okay. But, but this, this has a meaning that it was cast completely outside of wherever it was. So there's a sense in which, you see, what happened is Satan has... He's still active in our world, isn't he? Satan's still active in the world. Yes. In fact, the book of Revelation tells us that he's even more active than ever before. Okay. So in what sense is he cast out? He's been cast outside of the kingdom of power, outside of the kingdom of God. Satan is not a part of the kingdom of God. He was cast out by Adam and Eve, wasn't he? Sure. Before, he was cast out before the, before the whole story. Yeah. But remember, that's outside of time and space. Once our world is created, there's time and space. And what Jesus wants us to hear is that Satan has been conquered. He has been cast outside. His power no longer reigns because I have come and I am going to the cross. 
And as he says on the cross, it is finished. Jesus says those words, his last words on the cross, it is finished. You know. Now, what are we to understand of that? Because we still see Satan actively working in the world, and we still feel him actively working in the world. What, what, what did Jesus mean by that? He hasn't been sentenced yet. Hasn't been sentenced yet. He, he Maybe he's like a, a, a person who's been arrested and, and, and charged, but he was let out of prison for a while while he's waiting his sentencing. And, and we're thinking, man, he doesn't deserve good behavior, so why is he running around loose, you know, before he gets his sentencing? Well, so what we want to hear is that Satan still has power, but he doesn't have unlimited power. Okay. Uh, it comes back to this idea of not being broken. Satan has influence in this world. Jesus always talks him the ruler. He calls him many times the ruler of this world. Okay. There is a present darkness, but there is a present light that overshines, outshines that darkness. And that darkness cannot and will not ever out or cover over the light of Christ's Amen. kingdom. That's right. Okay. Now, before Christ came, Satan was active in the world, but had even more power. There was no force in this world that could stop Satan before Christ came. That's why Christ came. Because in our humanity, we couldn't defend ourselves against Satan. But in Christ, in Christ, in Christ's kingdom, in faith in Christ, in Christ's power, the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, nothing can conquer us. Okay? That's right. Paul says a lot about this, the Apostle Paul. Romans chapter 8. What can separate us from the love of God? N nakedness, death, peril, sword, famine, goes on, nothing. Can separate us. Except our free will. Okay, power, Satan has no power to separate us. Of course, our free will can. We can choose to. But also, remember, what does the Apostle Paul say in the book of Ephesians? He says, and after you've done all, stand. Put on the armor of God. Amen. Yes. Okay, why is he saying that? Because he's saying we have within us as subjects of God's kingdom the power to stand against the devil and Amen. his schemes. Right. Satan is still loose, he's still active, but he has been vanquished. Okay, it's kind of like a war. Let's think about a war. Spiritual war, and God made Adam and Eve, and he was jealous that he's out to take every soul he can before he goes down. He wants to take every soul he can before he goes down, and we know we don't have to be one of those souls. That's right. We do not have to fall to Satan. Think about a war. When World War II, I, I'll, I'll use World War II for an example. I, I, you know, when World War II was declared uh, that it was over and it was peace, um, history teaches us that peace didn't come automatically that day. Right? Every last Japanese soldier and every last German soldier didn't just stop fighting because... Somebody said there's peace. But there is in every war a turning point. There's, in every battle, in every war, there, there's always a turning point. It's just, there's a particular battle that turns the tide and that we know the war is over. I mean, there was a point where the allied forces 
knew that they had won this war. Go ahead. Battle of the Bulge. Okay. Our history coming through. Good. And they knew they were going to win. Okay. It, it, but it took time for the everything to happen and everything to cease and all fighting and stuff to cease. It's kind of like the way, I, I know that's not a, there are no good analogies to the kingdom of God because kingdom of God is not of this world. But, but we can kind of use that analogy uh, and, and understand that in the kingdom of God, there are still battles being fought and Satan is trying to wage war against us. But he will not win. Unless we let him. Do we really believe that? Yes, I do. Satan will not win unless we let him. So don't let him. Okay? I'm telling you right now, don't let him. There is the Bible. When you read through the the writings of the New Testament, you see all kinds of promises. The Apostle Paul says there is no temptation that that is not common unto man. And that has to overtake you. But that God will not offer you a way of escape. What is Paul saying? You don't have to fall to temptation. Uh, And there are many, many others that uh, I just pull these words out and paraphrase them. You can go look them up. I can't remember the chapter and verse of all of them. But but I believe that's what Jesus is saying here. Now is the judgment of this world. And now this ruler of this world has been cast out. It's over, guys. Yeah, I know there's going to be fighting for a while, but it's over. But now you're going to have the glory of the cross. You're all going to have your own crosses to bear. Jesus talked about that a lot. You're all going to have to bear your own cross. If you want to follow me, you've got to pick up your cross. It's not always a physical cross, okay? There's a lot of different ways in which that metaphor can be uh, lived out in our lives. But there's no getting into the kingdom of God and out of this world, I guess I should say that the other way. There's no getting out of this world and into the kingdom of God without a cross. Everyone has a cross. And the cross of Christ is our glory. So our cross can be our glory. I'm trying to connect some dots here without getting it too, uh, too, too deep or too uh, metaphorical for you. Last week we talked about the doctrine, what I call the doctrine of redemptive suffering. That's glorifying in the cross. You remember what we talked about last week? That re- idea of redemptive suffering? If you weren't here, let me re- rephrase it for you. But don't you have to get really deep into it to really have it explained? Deep into what? What you said, you didn't want to get too deep into it. Oh, okay. What I'm saying is I don't want to lose you in in some of my metaphors here. But the idea, I'm trying to take you deep, absolutely. (laughs) I'm trying to take you deep because you need to go deep. Because guess what? Why is what we're doing here this morning so important? Because we're learning more about our uh, uh, Lord and Savior. But not just that. We are doing that, but that's not what makes it important. What makes it important, we, we can learn until kingdom come, you know, until the end of the world. This, this we, but but we worship. need to, we, we, what, we, what we're doing is trying to take it deep into the fabric of our lives yes. so that we have been formed according to the life of Christ. Amen. It's called Christian spiritual formation. Okay. 
getting closer. Not only getting, and getting so close that God lives in us Amen. and is manifested in our lives and actions. Yes? There's an old hymn that says, Jesus, I might cross, I've taken all to leave and follow thee. Yeah. Destitute, despised, forsaken, thou from hence my all shall be. Yeah, oh man, I'm telling you, that's beautiful. That's powerful. Thank you for quoting that. I'm, I, I want you to see that in the suffering of this world, Christ is inviting, in this passage, he is inviting his followers to suffer with him. That's what he's doing. He's not just inviting them to believe in him. He's inviting them to suffer with him. And that's a foreign thought to us. We don't want to suffer. I am a wimp, okay? I don't like to suffer. I don't like to hurt uh, I don't have a high threshold of pain. Uh, I, I cannot say what I would do if I were put to the sword. Uh, I, I just am. I'm a whip, you know. But with God's strength, I want to be strong. Okay? But God knows that, and it says in his word that he will not put us to the test worse than we can handle. That's right, and I sure, I sure claim that a lot. Me too. So, but when I think about my life and I think about the stress and trials that I have, the stress and trials, okay, all I have to do is think about others that are hurting worse than me. And, and we ha that's why our faith is constantly, must be an others-centered face, faith, because our, my trials and the stresses and trials of my life are nothing compared to so many in this world. I mean, it just... We, we don't even understand suffering in America compared to the rest of the world and the, throughout history. We don't. We, we, think, we think not being able to pay our cell phone bill is suffering. We think not being able to drive a new car is suffering. We think not being able to have money to retire on after I've worked all my life is suffering. i got news for you. The Bible promises none of that. That's right. And most of the world has never known that and never will. That'd be kind of nice not to have technology no more, though. <laughs> I don't know. I kind of like my air conditioning. Everybody's looking at me. I don't, I don't, you know, there's days when I want to get away from technology, definitely. And I think that's part of spiritual formation, too. We need to learn to balance our lives uh, and, and get away from technology, but yet at the same time we need to be thankful for it because you know, the good old days aren't so good when you were, mm -hmm. I, mean, I mean, it wasn't not that long ago, I was just thinking about this, I know this is kind of warped and how my mind works but it was really a cold day, one of those really cold days we've had recently and, and I was outside a little longer than I wanted to be and I thought to myself how in the world did people sit in outhouses to I go did. to the bathroom I, I did it in when they were when they were constipated and had to stay there a long time. Or how did that work? And then my mind, then my mind went to, how did the Eskimos do it? Because theirs was even cold. I'm like, oh, this is, it's a wonder. And then, then my mind goes, Father, God, it is a wonder the human race still exists. We're all such wimps. But, you know, uh, today we're all such wimps. <laughs> so, I don't think I can do that now because when I was a kid, that's what we did. We went to an outhouse uh, at 47 deg degrees below zero. Well, I visited parents. What, did, what was it like? 
in my past, I have, on, not because I wanted to, because that's where I was, when I was a little boy, still had some relatives that had an outhouse, and, and, and I was like, are you kidding me? But I had to go, so, um, and it, see, we take so much for granted, I, I guess what I'm trying to say here this morning is don't miss what John is teaching us about the life of Christ, and how we can glory in the cross through our sufferings, and through those sufferings, they bring glory to God. There's perhaps nothing more uh, inspiring to me than when I see people who are hurting or are horribly sick or horribly hurting or tragedy has come upon them and they face it with dignity and with faith and with forgiveness and with trust. And I think, wow, oh, that I would have such faith. I, I just, it's inspiring. And that's what John's talking about here. Um, so in, in this passage, see, I've got some notes here I've failed to get to. I want to talk to you in the closing minutes today about this, this cast out thing a little bit more. One of the things that we've lost through the ages in our Christian worship uh, and, and theology uh, is some of the deep, theology about baptism. And you're thinking, wow, Brad, where'd that come from? What does this verse have to do with baptism? <laughs> well, you know, in ancient baptism, Christian uh, baptism rites, people, when you came to be baptized, you were, you confessed your faith, okay? You, you confessed, the, the, that's where the creeds were written. Those creeds were the confessional creeds. This, do you believe, I believe in God, one God, Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth, blah, 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 blah. You know, I've taught you the creed before. You had to confess that. And then you were also, uh, you had to renounce Satan. And literally, the minister of the church in the baptismal uh, rituals would perform with a few words, and especially what was considered an exorcism. Because absent Christ in our life, we... Are under the influence of Satan in this world. And as a way of getting Satan out of us, the minister would exercise Satan out of us. This is, and you can still see this. There are some, uh, especially in Eastern Christian churches, they still do this. Um, they take it very seriously. And, uh, you know, we've narrowed it down in our modern context to just a few words, a few questions that we ask people before they're baptized. Um, but the idea was that in that day, in that time, Satan was cast out, and you needed to have him cast out of your life, too. You needed to be. And the, and the church has always, and I think John is also showing us here, uh, and, and of course, baptism was always done in the church or in, in the auspices of the church. It might have been in a river, okay, but it was the church. You were joining the church, okay? You weren't just baptized because you were some individual living in a desert and wanted to be baptized. You, you, there was no life outside the church. And you hear me talk about that from time to time in this Bible study because as I read the New Testament and as I read Scripture, really, as a whole, I can't find anywhere 
that there is really a place for life in Christ outside the church. The church is the body of Christ. And we are the church. We are that church. And, And believers, I mean, in the ancient world, until the very modern times, there was simply no thought that anyone could be a Christian if they weren't in the church. Right. Uh, and, and that wasn't just because there was only one church in the world. You know, there was the first thousand years, there was one church, the undivided church. And then after a thousand years, it was split between East and West. And, and then after another 500 years, it was split in the Protestant Reformation between uh, hundreds and hundreds. It, 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 I don't mean just that. I mean, even up until, I don't mean just that old undivided time, but even up until the modern times, even in the Protestant churches of the Reformation whether that be the Calvinist churches in Europe or the Anglican churches in England or the Methodist churches that flowed over into America and and the Baptist churches of different places, there was no thought that people became Christians just out there on their own. You had to be in church. You You had to be a baptized member, official member of the church. It's only in this modern evangelical time that we have become so fascinated with the idea of going out and getting people saved that we forgot to go out and get them in the church. <laughs> we we kind of left something out there. We, 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 we got busy thinking all we got to do is get people saved, get them to pray this prayer, and that's our evangelical work, when really what we're missing is that the, really the kingdom of God is the church. The kingdom of God is the church. There's no, you can't separate the church from the kingdom of God. Christ's body is the church. You can't separate the body of Christ from the kingdom of God. And we, we need to relearn that. So uh, I'm, I'm on a soapbox every chance I get to preach that we must develop, we must rediscover a new doctrine of the church. Because all around us today, 80% of the population probably says they believe in some higher power and they, many of them think they're Christian, but most of them are not in church. Most of them belong to no church. And I can't fault them. Okay, I'm not condemning I'm not saying you unbelieving world out there, you're. I'm not you unchurched world out there, you're 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 wrong. I, I'm not saying that. It's not their fault. If they're born into a world where the church didn't teach them what the church really is, whose fault is it? It's Absolutely, it's ours. It's the church's fault. And those are hard words. Some some of you might be a little mad at me for saying those. I don't know, but I'm telling you, it's the truth. Why are churches dying all over America? Because they failed to be the church and teach the church and the doctrine of the church and why it's important. Um, so, enough of that. You came to Bible study not to hear a sermon, right? No. No. Okay. Um, <laughs> hear whatever you we, don't, to say. we don't mind a bit. <laughs> so, so at the end of at the end of this study, at the, as we draw near to the end here. Of this, uh, we're coming near the end of this chapter. In uh, we, we won't go through it, but in the next several verses, uh, Jesus is going to uh, is going to have more to say. These are kind of remember this is kind of his last, as John records them. These are kind of his last words to the public, to the people before the cross. So it's his last sermon, if you will. Uh, and we're going to get into that a little more uh, next next week as we look through verses like 37 through through uh, perhaps the end of the chapter. Um.
Because as we move into chapter 13, Jesus is going to start talking about um, uh, the narratives get longer from Jesus and he starts talking about what it means to really live in abide. He uses the phrase abide in me. If you abide in me. We're going to talk a lot. Verses 13, chapters 13 through 15 are full of rich and meaning about abiding in Christ. And, and he's teaching that to his disciples. That, But those words are more to his disciples. These words that we've been studying today um, were, were to the public. I mean, yes, his disciples were right there with him. But they were to, his, to the public. And that's why it says at the very end in verse 36, And when Jesus had said this, he departed and hid himself from them. Okay, we're hearing some of his last words John's giving us before he, before he hides himself away and spends time with his disciples, who would be the first apostles of the church. And he needed to put a lot into them in those last few hours. Well, thank you for your time. Any last-minute questions, comments, observations? Before we close today, yes. Oh. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, it's some good updates, but. Bob is nearing his end. We hear. Yes. Yes. Let's remember them in prayer. Yeah. We were yeah. up to see Gary last night. Yeah. No, no night before last. Okay, I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah. Anyway, he is improving. Yeah. God's answering prayer. Yes, he is. He's not out of the woods, but he is definitely improving. So I we want to praise God for that. I've never done it in my life. I prayed all night. Yeah, that's Pam, great. Pam really needs prayer. Yes, she does. She called me last yes. night, and she is just overwhelmed. Yeah. new doctors coming in daily Every, with yeah, different can't viewpoints and sharing all of it with mm -hmm. her. And One of them telling me you're going to have just, to go someplace and another mm -hmm. telling me where you're going to have to go yeah. someplace else. And she couldn't shut yeah. it all off last yeah, night. Sure. Well, it was a privilege to pray for. Let's remember them. Any questions, comments about our study? Something you know, I don't want anybody to leave without understanding. I was just thinking about, and I don't know why it just hit me, we always talk about how Christ changed when he came to earth. Uh, what was he like in heaven before he was born of a virgin Mary? <laughs> how did he, how, he had to make himself vulnerable to Satan before he wasn't, I would say. I mean, I don't know why this was, but. That's a deep question. What was Jesus like before the incarnation? <laughs> yeah, it's almost Satan like his second birth. What? Satan went Oh, no, he was part of God. Jesus, Satan never could and Satan never would and did without Jesus giving himself over to death, of course. Uh, as Jesus said, no one takes my life, I lay and it down. And he didn't even right. do that. He tried to be born. Yeah, I mean, what, what was he, what was, I don't know. Well, the scripture, I mean, there's no answer to yeah, that. Yeah, there, there is one answer. Just scripture tells us he was the, just, that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And forever, that's right. Yeah. So somehow he was the same. He didn't have the body, because that was assumed in the incarnation, in his birth. But he, the essence of who he was, the Son of God, the second person of the Holy Trinity, was there from all, all eternity. But his Which relationship with Satan, he would have, I mean, like Satan. Well, he knew Satan here. when Satan was a good angel. And, yeah. He knew Satan, yeah. you know, no. before. Something if I just thought of. Seth. He is going to have a spiritual body like us when we get there now. 
since he was Jesus human. has a glorified body already. Right. Yes, he was raised with a glorified body. So, I mean, and ours won't be maybe exactly like him because Probably we're not, not God, but, but we're definitely something. Yeah. Do you think they were brothers at one time? No, not at all. Because I think God, because 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 Satan is an angel, not part of the Trinity. Yeah. There are some offbeat religious churches that teach things like that. Yeah. So it's not uncommon that you would ask that or well, we may have heard that. He was in heaven and he got kicked out, but he was an angel. He was an angel, a leader of angels, but not part of the Godhead. Hey, there is tomato basil soup. I hope it's hot in the office. If it's, I'll go get it and bring it in here. If y'all want some, stay and eat some. If you don't, because I mean, it's a pot about that big. So it's, I made way too much of it. You're talking to the guy that's his favorite. <laughs> and there's cake. The cake's delicious. So let's pray as we close today. Father God, thank you for time together this morning in your word. We pray as we prayed in the beginning that you would illuminate lives, our souls, our minds. Help us to understand uh, what your spirit is saying to us. Help us to be one of those who hears your voice and heeds what you say. As we go from this place, bless us now in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, your Son, our Savior, who lives and reigns with you, Father, and the Holy Spirit as one God forever and ever and unto the ages of this has been Forming the Spirit Within. I'm Roger Culver, inviting you to tune in next time as Pastor Brad opens God's Word, helping us to form the Holy Spirit within us. Until then, may grace and peace be with you.